Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 260. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed and revered writer and game designer and owner of Zero Sum Games, Tony Bushel. Thank you so much for having me, Barney. I wish half of that stuff that you said about me was true, but I'm super proud that someone said it and I've got it recorded and I can play it back to family members. So thank you for that. You've done an amazing amount of work for like the game design, um, the things that you've created in the Distemperverse, and then with the comic book that you're able to come along with it as well. Really excited to talk to you about this. As Thank you. I'm really excited to talk about it. This has been a, a, a passion project for a while now. So I, I'm, I'm seeing it all come to fruition. It's just an amazing feeling. You know, you, you spend years to toiling away in the dark and you're like, I hope people like this. And then it starts to come out and you realize that, hey, maybe there is something there, you know? Right. And so because right, right now, I mean, you know, listening to some of your previous interviews, you're kind of initially the, the tabletop role playing game was the main driver but then yeah. you're you're talking with talking with cody saying that kind of like the comic book has seemed to have been as changed to be more of the masthead kind of the driving factor of some of the the storylines and some of the adventure yeah. modules that you're working on now yes spot on so it, it um I, I, I this whole project became way more than i expected it to right so i i kind of um i grew up playing role-playing games from when i was like 10 or 11 years old or 11 to 12 years old right so in high school and a friend of mine had the purple set of dungeons and dragons the purple and blue set from like 81 82. Mm. so i i played a lot of role-playing games growing up and then i had like a 30-year dry spell where i couldn't find anyone that wanted to play games with me right i wasn't interested in playing them and so Around uh, 2015, 2016, I got back into playing through through miniatures games. I found some people that wanted to play the Star Wars role-playing game, and I started creating content for that. You know, just like like adventure modules and whatever, like you know, campaign settings and so on. And I, I really I realized that I really wanted to create something from scratch, right? I wanted to mm. create something that was the game I'd always wanted to play. And I grew up playing very crunchy post-apocalyptic games like uh you know aftermath with an exclamation mark and twilight 2000 and not really post-apocalyptic but traveler some of these very crunchy games right in the kind right. of the earlier incarnations of role-playing games and i i, I realized in around two, 2018 2019 that I, I i just as an engineer i just wanted to create design systems or design game systems i should say and see if i could put one together so i started in i think it was 2019 yeah it was the year before covid so i started in 2019 and really had a ball with it, right, to start with. And again, the engineering side of my brain kind of fired up and I was like, dice rolls and probability and how does this all work together and interconnected systems. And I was really enjoying putting it together. And then as I started playtesting it with people, the stories that were coming out of the playtest were just so much fun, right? The, you know, I take a simple idea and I, I'd run people through it and no two groups would even come close to playing out the scenario in the same way, you know? And so as I started playing, running more playtests, I realized that the stories that were coming out of those were stories I hadn't thought of. And I started kind of capturing those and turning those into adventures. And the whole thing took on a new life, right? So it went from being this game to me realizing that I wanted to write some of the stories out, which I did. And I created a whole bunch of short stories with some artists that I found on Reddit of all places. 
And then I, I got lucky enough to meet an artist who's been drawing the first three-issue arc. And the first three-issue arc is called Chased and actually ties into an adventure that's available on our website and on DriveThru and Itch and everywhere else called Chased. So mm. the comic provides kind of a backdrop to the game and people playing the game will ultimately be able to influence the storylines in the comics. So it becomes oh, cool. why I call it Distemperverse, right? Because it's really... You know, and it sounds cheesy to say it, but it's the stories kind of told globally in the comic books, and then the stories told locally at a gaming table amongst a bunch of friends. It all resides in the same universe, right? And so the goal is to make um, a persistent world, because it's in the real world, that any player can tap into and access content that's been created by me or other players of the game. So there's like a grand plan here to kind of turn it into like a a living story, right? What I call the tapestry, right? Like a living right. story has been told by multiple people rather than just me. Did that all make sense? I said a lot. Of this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's almost like it's, it's, it's a community driven creation of a world. Yeah. It's, it's world is, it's crowdsourced world building. Right. And right. so, yeah. you know, there's, I, I've been super lucky. I told this to Kurt. I've been so lucky with my play testers, right? I found a bunch of people that really, um, really, seized onto this game world right and kind of the game mechanics and how it all ties together and so i've been playing with the same play testers for i think about a year and a half now and they've just been awesome like allowing me to run through campaigns and doing fight clubs and all these different things to test out different things so astoria is where we're currently playing which is in oregon right and we call you know the the the, the campaign is called home by the sea okay. and we're testing out all of the community rules so this is an example of what i talk about about the crowdsource and as we're building out, as they're exploring more of the game world after the, you know, the apocalypse that's kind of, you know, killed 90% of humanity, everything has changed. Nothing's changed, right? It's the real world, but everything's changed in terms of like who's living there and what are people's motivations and who's left and what are they after? So this right. tapestry that we're building, this map that you have up on the screen, this is when I say about the, the crowdsourced world building. The goal is people will be able to have access to this map and be able to put their own markers on there that I'll curate. But as people build out adventures, like other people will be able to look at the map and say, you know, I'm going to go and play in the story because all of this stuff will be downloadable and people will have access to the artifacts and anything that will enable them to, to play these campaigns. Talk to us a little bit about the the actual the the rules that you created. Sure. So um, I. I Again, I go back to when I was creating this, this was really just a labor of love, right? At, at one point, I thought I was just going to play it for my... I didn't realize really how long it would take me. So I thought I'd just play it a few times for my play group and then put it up on drive through and consider it done, right? And so the rules themselves, like I, I wanted to find a mix between crunchy, streamlined, fast-paced, I guess that's streamlined as well, and flexible, right? Mm -hmm. But with narrative elements. So I, I, and I've played like a ton of games over the year. I've actually read way more systems than I've, I've, I've actually played, right? During this 30 year <laughs> hiatus, like I'd still buy role-playing games generally based on IPs I was interested in, right? So I remember, I remember in the late nineties buying the, was it, was it Merc Middle Earth role-playing game? I don't remember the, the name of the system, but I remember buying some role-playing games that again, just like the, the Farscape role-playing game and like the Battlestar, like all, all these games that even though I wasn't playing, they had a ton of background information about IPs that I was super interested. When I started um, looking at the, the, the games that I wanted to play, I just wanted to have a very simple 
mechanic, right? It, it, as I mentioned, I was playing in a Star Wars game, the fantasy uh, flight games, the FFG version, right. the most recent version. And I love those narrative dice, but I've got to say, without if you're not doing it online where a computer figures it out, sometimes you find yourself like three or four of you be looking at the dice saying like, and that means this and that means, and it's not fast paced, right? It can, and it's great. I love the whole narrative element. I absolutely love that system, but it wasn't what I was looking for. So right. everything in, in December is a 2D6 roll, right? And there's modifiers okay. for attributes, for skills, for conditions, but literally everything in the game is a 2D6 and the success marker is a nine, right? And if you're, an engineer like me and probabilities are the things you think about as you're going to sleep. You recognize that you've got a less chance of making it successful on a bare roll than you have of being successful. And that's kind of the design of the system. Everything in this world is hard. Everything is dangerous. Everything is deadly. And, you know, there's unless you're skilled at something, there's a better chance you're going to fail at a task than you are to be. You're going to be successful. So right. that's where the narrative elements come in, because there's a thing called filling in the gaps and making the case where a player can say, hey, let me fill in the gaps about what I'm trying to do and try and get conditional modifiers from the GM. Or they can make a case, right? If you're going into a negotiation and your character was born in East Texas and you're meeting with people from East Texas, maybe the accent resonates and gives you a plus one modifier on a barter check or something like that. So there are certain narrative elements in there, but it really is about this very simplistic and streamlined check, which having run now conservatively 12 plus game test sessions, the speed at which people pick this up is, is just great, right? It's exactly what I'm looking for. Someone that doesn't really, under, everyone understands the 2D6 dice roll, right? And particularly if, hey, you add plus one, plus two, plus three, whatever it is, you get above nine, you win. It, people pick it up really quickly. And with these narrative elements, it's interesting seeing how quickly people will try and bend the system to their will. Do you know what I mean? And kind of like, like, like dominate the system and get it to do what they want. So pretty simplistic in that respect. But then I've kind of layered in other elements to keep it interesting to me. So say, for instance, like that, the character creation. How does that character creation work? So a couple of different ways, right? Um, the, the combat is absolutely brutal. So there's a good chance um, that you're, you're going to lose characters as you're playing this, right? So there's like a, a library of pre-gens that you can pick from, which are fully configured, right? Like backgrounds, everything, right? Then there's paradigms, which are essentially... Um, like like a role, almost not really a role, but like a stereotype or a trope, right? So it's like a rural sheriff, right? Or an EMT or like something along, a school teacher or something along those lines. And you take those and customize those. For the people that have the most amount of time or like to configure every part, there's a, a life pathing system, right? And if you go to the website, this is actually very recently in the last week, I embedded all this in there. So there's now spreadsheets that are built into the website so that people can go through and create their own characters through, through the website. Um, but essentially you start and you have character development points um, and, and you can buy points in your attributes, you know, your, what was called the rapid range. So reason, et cetera, et cetera. I like all your five different attributes. Thank you. That's, that's exactly it. Um, and then you get to spend points on different skills, right? Um, you know, the different, there's 30 skills in the game. So you get to spend different points on the skills. Now there's, you know, there's 25 points in total and it really doesn't go very far. So, one of the selling right. points of the game, certainly for my playtest group, is that you're a real person, right? That this isn't, there's no action heroes in this, right? Like people can be good at stuff, but it's usually at the expense of something else, right? And so um, it, it's very, it, people are very grounded and down to earth, right? And it's led to some 
really cute stuff during character generation. Like one of my players created an influencer, right? Which was just awesome. It was just, it was not something I would ever have thought to put in there, but this is what kind of what this guy was aspiring to be in his, in his kind of like his future plans. And he built that in. It was just awesome. And so these really are, um, again, you can play a cop, you can play someone that has combat skills, but uh, as I said, combat's really brutal. So there's a lot of social skills in the game, like negotiations and first impressions and gut instincts. There's ways right. to manipulate the situation without getting into combat, because combat, again, it's brutal, right? And, and by design, right? I mean, the reality is that, you know, bullet wounds really are gross, right? I mean, if somebody gets shot, there's there's a, you know, a, a fairly good chance they're gonna die if it hits them in the wrong place. That's reflected in the system, right? This whole goal right. of like, hey, if you can avoid combat, or if you can get a tactical advantage, because just being a gunslinger is not going to last you very long in this world. And, and so, so talk to us a bit about like also, as you say, it it, it takes place in a in a world very similar to ours. Yeah. There's is it is it similar to like, um, Last of Us or Walking Dead? Is there any level of horror or supernatural to this, or this is just? No, there's nothing, right? It's 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 one of those like, and again, for me, it's always been a bit of a selling point. There's no zombies, there's no aliens, there's no mutants, right? There's just right. other people, right? And frankly, you know, I I, uh, I love zombies, right? And I love like you know post-apocalyptic stuff. But I I don't know if you saw the 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 Netflix show uh, Black Summer, but it was a zombie show, and it was it was honestly the most amazing zombie show I've ever seen. And the second season. I mean, it was one of these shows, like, it was total misdirection because who you thought was going to be a main character would die, like, seven minutes into an episode. And then they'd introduce somebody else you thought was a bit part player that would turn up three episodes later and become a major character. Beautifully put together. And the second series of that was very much in the vein of Pulp Fiction, where it was, like, the same two or three events that were all seen from different perspectives. And they kept on kind of, like, building out around it. And you realize how things hmm. interrelated. But the second season... There were very few zombies, right? By the second season, like zombies have pretty much died out, right? So it became a how will humanity screw each other over, right? When there's no supply chain, when there's no medicines, when there's no nothing, but you've got a hungry kid behind you. What are you prepared to do? So that's right. kind of the, um, the you know, the, the kind of the ethos behind the game. And I wanted to, again, keep it very realistic because almost every role-playing game, and by design, right? I mean, people want to escape, right? They don't want to be you know, scrabbling around in the dirt trying to find something to eat or they're dying of subsistence damage, right? I mean, that's not really much fun, so I understand that. But so many role-playing games have a truly, like, fantastical element to them, right? And right. I wanted to really strip that away and just see, again, like, the games we've played, I, I, some something's right in the game system or I have some kind of Jedi mind trick, but keeping the same group of playtesters every Monday night for a year, year and a half, there's something right. in the system or the background or the world building, and two of them have run campaigns during that time, and... I, again, there's something about this kind of like the real world setting that has appealed to at least some people, right? And I think right. that that's, I think that's one of the selling points. That certainly for me, for one of the same, same with the, the, the comic book. I mean, it's a very grounded, ugly comic book, right? It's people right. making ugly choices, and there's people dying left and right because, like, again, neither here nor there. But it's, it's. Uh, I wanted a more grounded experience, both in the comic book and in the game, because everywhere I look, there's great escapism. But it almost pulls me out of myself when I see people doing superheroic, uh, you know, acts of marvel. You know, do you add this to having like that engineering background of just wanting things to be very precise and specific, oh, yeah. and just so how 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 does your engineering background help with this creation of a game like this? 
You know, I, a great question. Thank you. So I'm a, I'm a network engineer, right? So I know the term engineer gets thrown around a lot. So I started uh, I, I started in IT, it'll be 30 years ago next year, right? So I've been in this like a really, really long time and I got into network, uh, network design and then architecture. And so I think that having spent almost 30 years in that field in the last like decade or so, it's been more leadership than it's been hands-on keyboard. But what the first like 15 to 20 years of my career, really taught me to think about problems in a logical way, right? And, you know, right. Occam's razor, right? What's the simplest solution, right? And don't overcomplicate, keep things simple, stupid, right? Like, or keep it right. simple, stupid, right? All these things that, excuse me, have really been a kind of the core tenant of my career. They've really helped with this, right? Because they've helped me simplify, they've helped me troubleshoot. And I'm always... Again, I'm always trying to simplify down to the most like the most basic components because as an engineer, if you can do that, you can get to a troubleshooting phase really, really quickly, right? Because you're not like you don't have any fluff around stuff. So I think that's really helped, right? And I also think being an engineer, I'm uh, I'm inherently patient. You know, it's like you have to try a lot of things sometimes, and so if something doesn't work. There's a part of me, one of my co-creators, one of the guys that's really adopted this game has like coded Roll Twenty. He's been fantastic in the help he's given. <laughs> It always teases me that I'm ineffably optimistic about everything. But it's again, it's part of my engineering background. I just I see solutions everywhere I look, right? Because the world's full of problems and there's always a solution to stuff. And I think that it's why I love games, because there's a part of me that's kind of like, oh, everything's a game and everything's a riddle to be solved or a puzzle to be effective, you know? Right. And so what about um, character progression? Do you have character progressions in your system as well? Yeah, yeah. So uh, in twofold, right? So um, there's the traditional, at the end of sessions, you get character development points, right? And over time, you can increase attributes and skills and so on and, you know, spend points on things that you don't have. But I think right. the more interesting progression, and I'd, I'd want my playtesters to validate this, um, the, the, you know, what, as I, I mentioned this earlier, but I wanted to I wanted to create a game system the way you could build something right and again it's the engineer inside of me so there's a whole ton of community rules in this game right it's you know um, how to how to build your own community how to join somebody else's community the different types of communities how to convert people if you're a you know a church or a cult or whatever it is how you'd be able to press people into service if you're more militaristic there's all these different rules about it. But the the community building is something that I think also my my players have enjoyed, right? That there's always an element you can recruit NPCs to your course. So I think that you know these players have enjoyed kind of almost like saving people. Do you know what I mean? Kind of like building a community where they can recruit people while they're out like doing stuff or they're out scavenging or whatever it is, and they'll stumble across people. And so that in and of itself has led to a a progression of almost like what they're building in addition to the fact they get, you know, in other words, experience points at the end of every session they can use to improve their skills. So it's really twofold. Something that was inspired actually by Traveller, where in Traveller there was no really changing your character once you'd built it, right? It was really much more of a, hey, here's some wealth and here's some standing and here's all these different things, education, social, whatever. That it, There's an element of that to distemper as well, where people are, again, you don't have to build anything, right? You can spend the whole time like tomb raiding or doing like being like, you know, like mobile raiders, like Mad Max, whatever you want to do. But if people choose to go down that path of community building, that seems to be pretty rewarding. And as I mentioned, there's someone in, in Belfast that's thinking of running it. It's the community rules that they're the most interested in trying out. Because I think there's a ton of games. This isn't unique to distemper. But I think that that, I think at a certain point, that's what becomes interesting people, right? Building something bigger rather than just do it, raiding another tomb, you know? Right. And but because you do have, if, you know, going on to zero-sum games, you also have two other 
platforms on there as well. Correct. One's a sci-fi and the other one's a fantasy. Is it, is it still the same character sheets? Is this still yeah. the same system? You know, so the character sheets will change. They're very thematic, right? The character sheets right. are designed to look like a, a job interview, right? So it's it's like the, the, it's an application form, right? Where, right? where you rate yourself on skills between zero and four, that kind of thing. Describe yourself in three words. Those kind of, you know, again, to give people kind right. of a role-playing hooks to tie into. This is all built on what I call the zero-sum engine, right? And so other games would would use the same engine right um and it's always intended to be what i've always called like a street level game right that is you know in comic book terms it's, it's batman and it's like a, yeah. so in comic book terms it's it's batman or it's daredevil or it's, you know that kind of lower level right and so the other two settings one is very much uh uh, a low fantasy setting, right? It's very much, right. I, I grew up reading Conan books as well, right? So I've always loved that very low magic, kind of like magic's in the background. This is more about brutality. Another thing that's always appealed to me is hard sci-fi, right? So the movie Outland, if you've, or Outlander, if you've ever seen that with Sean Connery, yeah. that kind of like, you know, that, so that's what Babel Falls is, right? So Babel Falls is a world that's been cut off from the rest of civilization after like this there's been an accident, right? And no one can get out there anymore. So it's this hard fantasy about how you're surviving on a frontier world and what would that look like? So those other games will tie into that system. And then lastly, I'm working with a, one of my playtesters. We're, we're building out a, a Blades in the Dark version of Rollerball, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, right? The original back from 1975. So yeah. we've been building out like the playbooks because we think if, you, if you've... Uh, another one that I actually have to hand, but... If you if you've uh, if you've read uh, Band of Blades, that's built around a campaign that's more kind of like as much as I love like Forged in the Dark and anything in Forged in the Dark. This is really built around this idea that hey, there's a set number of fights before you get back to your castle. So we're building this rollable skin around this idea that you're in the you know there's like eight games left in the finals and you're going to be running through and playing different roles on the rollable team and then there'll be like a corporate side as well as the game side so that's not listed on there but these are yeah there you go so the valley kingdom this is the uh the low fantasy uh role-playing game and then uh babel falls is the the uh the the hard sci-fi right yeah which will also be accompanied by comic books right so that's something else the Again, like since since I interconnected these, I don't know I would be creating anything like proprietary like this without having a comic book that goes alongside it, right? Something that would help build out the world because that's me again. When I, when I was doing playtesting, I created a, an encounter called Empty, and I had one of the artists I was working with create uh, a, or like write or I wrote it. He drew a six-page short story that goes at the beginning. That's kind of one possible telling of how this story could go. This was this was super valuable, right? Having this kind of comic book that set the tone for people, um, it, it proved to be again. I think people were more interested in reading this and got something from it rather than reading like two and a half pages of like you know two column typed prose about this is the world and this is what you need to know. I think this sets the tone in a different way. So I've been really? very pleased with how people have uh, ha adopted. Or not adopted is the wrong way of putting it, but how it's all become synthesized and integrated. It seems to be appealing to some people. So again, I can't imagine doing a, a game that didn't have a comic book attached to it. Is this system that you created, is it, are you making this as open source or is this going to stay a proprietary system? 100% open source, right? Anyone can have it, right? There's, there's, I'm actually halfway through the SRD, right? I, um, I, 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 here's the thing. Um, I, I, 
very much a realist, right? As an engineer, right? So I'm 50. I know I look like spry chicken, but I'm 53 years old, right? So I'm never retiring from my day job to do this, right? As much as I'd like to, I have two younger kids. I like, I, you know, I, 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 I got to put them through college, right? And so this right. to me is all a hobby, right? And so if if I can get any, you know, if I the risk of sounding cheesy again, if anything I do can inspire anyone's imagination or make them interested or like whatever. That's the biggest compliment I can get at this point in my life because I'm under no illusions that this is going to pay my bills. So in terms of making all this open source, yeah, hundred percent. Like if anyone wants to use this in any way, good luck to you, right? Again, I'd love to, I'd love to think that I've created something other people would want to take and adopt to play. That would be the biggest compliment in and of itself. So there'll be a creative commons in the back, which is really just like, take it, run with it, enjoy it, have fun. Just make sure that you reference this back. And so, so, but when you when you're when you're thinking about from the, like the sci-fi perspective and the and the low fantasy, are you having now have to get into different skill sets and things that have to do with like superior technologies or yeah. um, then when you're talking about with the low fantasy that you're gonna is there something like from the Conan perspective like some semblance of how would you how would you put a distemper version of system of religion or miracles or re or something along the lines that that's not necessarily elves but something that fits sure. within that conan-esque feel of supernatural uh great question thank you so um i i so two different ways right so number one what i always loved about uh the conan world was the was you know the cults and the sex and all the stuff in the background right so right. like all these kind of like and, and it often felt to me like, sure, there were people that had genuine magic powers, right? But often what they had really done was they were like smoke and mirrors and got some, you know, it's almost like the trope of like, you know, the the, the dumb tribes person to follow them because they, you know, like the Ewoks following C-3PO, right? It's almost mm -hmm. that kind of trope, right? And so... Um, the, the and I've sketched out I've sketched out a bunch of rules for this the like how how the system would change I don't I don't plan on implementing any direct magic but the right. skills that are already in uh, the zero sum engine like inspiration and some of those skills they'll have an enhanced level to them right so if okay. you can get to level four and this is actually something that I had in one of the earlier versions that I took out on the advice of playtesters actually like if you got to level three in a skill like the skills only go to like they range from zero to four right so if you get to level three or level four there was like a feat right there was or like a trait or something you got there and suddenly you could do something you couldn't do at level two right and so right. coming to my playtesters said like hey that feels a little bit wonky it's kind of getting away from what it's almost like a magic power that you you unlock at a certain level okay right? and right. so um, the the as it comes to kind of you know the the magic power within uh, Hidden Valley or Hidden Kingdom, it's um, it, it's really more about that mind control, right? So if you've got level four and inspiration, there's a couple of other skills you can effectively control people's minds, right? You can get them so far behind you that they they just don't even question what you're selling to them. And then in terms of magic, I I've always loved that you know, and I'm trying to remember was it Thor? I can't remember. There was a Marvel movie where I think it was Thor. Where it said about how like you go to Asgard and what looks like tech looks magic to humans is actually just technology to them, right? And so, right. in one of the short stories that I've written for this, it, it talks about how one of the one of the it doesn't really matter, but there's there's a tribe they're at war with, and they think they have like magic. They think they're throwing like I can't remember how they put it, but it's like the sweat of God or something, right? And it right. turns out it's just it, it's just 
I mean, it's, it's just like a wood throw. Do you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they're setting these balls up and flaming. But to another tribe, it looks like they're sending in the tears of God. That's what it calls, right? They think it's the right. tears of God that are ripping through the village. So I like the idea more that you have technology and the technology, think about how black powder, like gunpowder must have appeared to people. You know, I read a book about, not to digress too much, but I read a book years ago about Harry Houdini, right? And so it's something that, and I say a few years ago, again, I'm an old man. This was probably like 25 years ago that I read this book. And something that stuck with me forever is that at one point he's explaining to someone, someone says to him, how do you do all this? And he says, hey, this is mostly tricks, right? Like like there's a chain over there and there's a gas mask over here and there's right. something over there. But there's a portion of it, guess what? That's real magic, right? Yeah. And I always felt that was really, again, like he's he was a stage man through and through, right? Like a, yeah. you know, like a performer through and through. But I love that. I love the idea that he was kind of like, hey, most of this you could probably guess how this was going to work. But this part you really care about, that's the true magic behind this, right? And I think that knowledge is what you're talking about. I think that that's what we would, you know, I spend all day on the phone. I've got no idea how my headphone works. You know what I mean? Like if we, if, you know, in December, 90% of humanity dies out inside of six months, I have got no idea. Like I got, I, 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 you know, I could do basic gardening. Not sure how I'd get by, right? And I, I actually know how I'd get right. by. It's because over the years, I bought a couple of books that would be like, what would you do to survive the apocalypse? And it tells me how to distill water. And it tells me all these things that, frankly, as a 50-something network engine, I've got no idea how to do any of that stuff, right? But those <laughs> are the things, like you say, it's knowledge, right? It even says in December in the rule book, when it comes to like the background stuff, it says that during, the, during what was essentially the collapse, which happened super quick, right? Again, this was like this happened all in a matter of months. Not as quick as the zombie apocalypse, where it happens in 48 hours, but this was just this, hey, between March the first death and then November, like like 7 billion people die, right? So it's just really, really quick. So it says in there that at one point, libraries are raided, right? Because people come to realize, hey, the, like we, there's no more internet. Nothing's ever coming back again, right? So if you don't know how to do something today, unless someone's going to teach you, you don't know how to do it tomorrow. And people go into libraries and just raid them and take everything they possibly can. Because again, going forward, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty useless when it comes to surviving in the post-apocalypse, even though I spend many hours between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. lying awake in my bed thinking, what would I do in the event of X, Y, and Z, you know? Uh, so talking about like your, the, the comic book aspect of it, it's kind of like, a, it's almost, can somebody actually end up reading the comic book and not knowing the game and vice versa? Oh, 100%. So 100%, right? So um, Chased which again is the first three story arc. It, it really is uh, kind of a retelling on the house in the forest trope, right? And it, it really is just that take on in this world that kind of like you, you stumble a bunch of psychopaths that are living out in the woods, right? And so right. Um, you could read that comic without having any more background information, right? And it's, I'm very much, I'm, I'm, I, I prefer the same with GMing. I prefer to show rather than tell, right? So, you know, in the comic book, there's references to things that have gone on, but it really doesn't kind of sit you down and say, hey, here's what happened, right? I mean, it's kind of like, just kind of like, on the first page, there's a bunch of like, you know, hey, this happened, this happened, and this happened, but it really is, you're kind of left to your imagination. So again, you'd have to have no knowledge or even interest in in the game to read and enjoy the comic book, right? You just need to enjoy essentially horror, right? If you enjoy, if that's your jam, like, you know, kind of, psychopathic violence in the woods with a bunch of people that you know if that's your jam like i think you'd enjoy this and 
Also, from the game perspective, I, I there's no need to read anything from the comic books to enjoy the game, right? I mean, they all okay. really are standalone. This is all background information. But I think that somebody could, you know, there's a timeline in the in the quick start and in the core rule book that just kind of walks you through, hey, here's everything you need to know. So I think there's six pages very heavy on pictures that really give uh, a reader and a GM kind of an overview of the world. Okay, perfect. Now, so 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 Tony, if people want to learn more about zero sum games in your in your comic books, where's the best place they could go to? You know, so um, three different places really, right? So number one, if you get, anyone goes to distemperverse.com, um, they can sign up for the mailing list. And I have a very, okay. I really hate spam, right? I really hate people that send me an email, which is essentially kind of like, hey, hey, I'm here, right? I'm here. Like, do you remember me? I'm still here, right? And so I have a very strict kind of infrequent and important update policy. So I think I've sent in a year and a half, I think I've sent four emails, maybe five emails to the mailing list, right? And it's because, right. again, I'm just trying to keep people updated. Hey, major releases available. Um, Twitter is also a good place to keep up with me, right? So at X zero some games. So X E R O some games, right? That's a good place right. to keep up with me. I'm not, I, you know, I'm not a huge Twitter. I, I use it all, you know, I use it all the time, right? But I'm not one of these people that like, I don't spam on Twitter either, right? I'm a very non-spammy person, right? But it's a good place right. to get updates. And then lastly, for anyone that's interested in participating, we have a fairly active Discord, right? So if anyone okay. wants to know more and follow along, it's where we organize all of our playtests, all of these documents go up there first. So it really depends on the level of interest, right? If someone really wants to be in depth to what's on the mailing list, if you want to follow along in real time and see my pictures of my dogs and that kind of nonsense, right, then Twitter. And then if you want to be involved in the actual development, then Discord. Okay. Perfect. And Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else. But I would argue that those are the three main ways. So, so what's next then, Tony? When can people start seeing, like, when the, can they actually buy the game? Well, so the comic book, and I, I'm super lucky, the comic book got picked up by Blood Moon Comics, right? And I, I have, comic book comes out in September. Right now, the quick start is available along with Chase. Again, it's an adventure and a campaign setting. Um, I'm working on the cool rule book now. I'm literally doing edits and rewrites based on the play testing that, that we're doing. So my goal, it still feels forever away, but my goal is to get for a release in the comic book, sorry, in, in the background lore, the first person dies on March 6th, right? That's the first recorded death. And every comic book actually opens with the words, it's like on the first page, there's invariably the words, however many days after the first recorded death. So as you're reading the short stories and different comic book stories, it'll be a way of kind of almost like putting it all in context. Because some of them are before the, like, the you know, the fall, and then some of them take place years after, right? And so... The first death is on March 7th. So my plan is to release the game on Kickstarter on March 7th next year. So by then, you know, the first comic book arc will have been out. I'm already working on the second arc at the moment. So my hope is to have generated some interest in the in the world, the background through the comic book, and then release the game afterwards. But anyone that wants to check it out now, they can go to Distemperverse, they can go to Drive Through, they can go to Itch. And they can just search for distemper and they'll come up with a core rule book. And again, a, a starter, sorry, a quick start rule book right. with all the rules needed. And then a game called uh, Chased, which walks you through everything you'd need and then leaves you with a campaign setting at the end to, to jump off from. Perfect. Excellent. Well, yeah, listen, Tony, maybe, maybe get you back on and talk more about it once the game goes live on the Kickstarter. To. Then. Beautiful. Well, I, I really Perfect. appreciate the time and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about distemper. Thank you so much. All right, you're welcome.
apologies in advance to your your uh, your listeners or your viewers, but the first chapter is called um, "If I Can." Am I allowed to swear on your show? Are you okay with that? Oh no, no, PG. Keep it PG. Okay. And right. effing farmhouse in the effing woods is the name of the first <laughs> chapter, right? And so it really is just that take on in this world that kind of like you, you stumble a bunch of psychopaths that are living out in the woods, right? And so right. um, you could read.